This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast, episode 44, Yoga in Sanskrit. My name is Erica, and I'm your host. For this episode, I sat down with Nikolai Bachman. Nikolai holds an MA in Eastern Philosophy, an MS in Nutrition. He has studied extensively at the American Sanskrit Institute, the Ayurvedic Institute, the American Institute of Vedic Studies, and at the Vedic Chant Center. Nikolai has been teaching Sanskrit, chanting, yoga philosophy, and Ayurveda since 1994. He has authored several books on Sanskrit and yoga philosophy, and you'll find a complete list in the show notes. I really appreciate your financial support with this podcast. If you can, know that you can make a big difference even with a small donation to help me cover the production cost and allow me to create more episodes. Visit patreon.com slash on and off your mat and become a VIP member. As a thank you, you'll get access to exclusive content every month. Feeling stressed and tired after the holidays? This month, get a Yoga Nidra, a guided meditation to induce total physical, mental, and emotional relaxation. Okay, ready? Let's get to our episode of today. Hi, Nikolai. Hi, Erica. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're very welcome. It's my pleasure. So for listeners that don't know you very well, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your yoga journey and your Ayurvedic Sanskrit or Vedic studies journey? Like, how did you get into that? Sure. So I, I began, as most people begin, uh, with asana a long time ago, and then I got into meditation, and then I got into Ayurveda, and that kind of really hooked me. Mm. And... Um, that caused me to quit my job. I was working at kind of a nine-to-five uh, job mm-hmm. and moved to Albuquerque to study Ayurveda with Dr. Lod. So um, that kind of – and then I came across Sanskrit there, and every time I touched something from India, I got hooked. I just kept, you know, everything – I loved everything that uh, came from that country. So from there, I pretty much, you know – I had some savings and I just spent it on education, both informal and formal mm-hmm. over the next several years. And, um, you know, sought out very good teachers. Um, I definitely made a point of that and that's really been important for me. Um, so I've had a lot of one-on-one time with a lot of really good teachers. And then, you know, I wrote uh, several books as a result of all this. And I've been teaching, um, for a long time now, um, mostly around the country. Mm-hmm. We're going to focus our talk today on Sanskrit mostly. What got you hooked onto that? What was the thing that made it really interesting to you? Um, A, the sounds, mm-hmm. and then also the musicality of it, the rhythm, uh, also the esoteric aspects of it, how well it connected with the foundations of yoga and, and Vedic foundations. Um, and I just loved the chanting. Uh, I'm also, you know, I'm computer guy by training. So I actually enjoyed studying the grammar, believe it or not. <laughs> um, most people don't enjoy that, but for, with the Sanskrit, I just really did enjoy it. So especially through chanting. So, um, you know, it has a nice blend of, being a very sacred language and also very musical, but also very intellectual, very scientific, very logical. So it kind of has aspects that 
appeal to you know both sides of the brain. Mm. I also had a very very good teacher of Yas Houston. He was my first teacher, and that also made a big difference. Mm-hmm. I assume that most of our listeners don't know much about Sanskrit other than a name of a yoga pose here and there. So can you tell us a bit more about it? Like, why is it sacred or where it's from? What do we need to know? What's the basic things we should know? So it's the foundational language of Indian culture. Mm-hmm. And a, the language of a culture expresses what was important to the culture. So this culture was very focused inward. So the language and the terms, uh, we have, there are so many terms uh, that are in Sanskrit that we don't have in English because they deal with meditation or something related to meditation or some, you know, uh, they look at the psyche in a different way than we do. So it's the foundational language. It's very... Um, If you want to really go deep into yoga, you need to learn a little bit of Sanskrit because it's the language of yoga. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and that's what I came to at a certain point. I said, you know, I really want to go deep into this culture. I need to understand some of this language. Um, Nobody knows where it's from. Nobody knows how old it is. It's definitely thousands of years old, but it was an oral tradition for a long time. Mm -hmm. Nobody, Nobody knows how it originated. If you, you know, look at the language, it's it's really beautiful. I mean, it's um, it makes a lot of sense, a lot more sense than any other language I've ever seen. Um, and it also, <clears throat> even the layout of the alphabet correlates to the, you know, theory of creation that yoga is founded upon, which is called the Sankhya, theory of creation. Mm-hmm. So I think if I read correctly, the oldest scripture we found, or people found, not me, obviously, uh, we're like 5,000 years old. Is that, is that a possibility? Uh, I think the oldest written one was like 1500 BC. So that's around 3,500 years ago. Yeah. And that was the written. Uh-huh. Uh, again, it was oral before that. So nobody really knows yeah, how totally. long the actual language existed. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So it's very, very old. It's considered a root language. So, you know, one theory is that most of the Indo-European languages uh, come from Sanskrit. And mm-hmm. you can see in the, there are so many similarities. Mm-hmm. And it's not a dead language today, right? No, no. It's definitely, I, I've been calling it still alive. Mm-hmm. And it's actually growing in India. Uh, there's a big movement to bring it back mm. uh, as a living language. It's never died. They say that There's always been somebody chanting the Veda uh, at any given time and on any given day um, since the beginning, just like there are certain fires that I've heard about that have never gone out in India. Wow. It's kind of like that. And the sound of the language carries the life, that it carries it through the prana. Mm. How so? Can you explain a bit more about that? So prana is this, you know, the life force, mm-hmm. and it exists in the subtle body, and sound exists in the subtle body. So um, through the vibration, when, through the vibration, that's right. It's not physical, mm-hmm. and so um, when you speak or you chant, the, that vibration affects the subtle body, and it's the it's part of prana is the kind of the let's put it this way, when you chant, you're kind of expressing prana in a way. 
And so, and the prana is kind of like the messenger type of energy. It, it carries, it carries uh, information from one place to another. Mm, so it's not only that you're in training with it, is that you're bringing new prana in or you're releasing prana out. Yeah. You're kind of like the sounds or the sound waves is in a form, is a form of prana. Mm. And so if we add chanting or mantra in our practice, is that the way that Sanskrit could help us bring our deeper relationship to yoga? Or how does it add to our practice know some Sanskrit? Well, to use the Sanskrit names for the postures in a class definitely adds a whole other level of energy to the class. Uh, and it brings the vibration of the Sanskrit. It's, again, a very sacred language. It brings that vibration into the class. If all you use are English names, then you're, you know, you might just be doing a bunch of stretches mm. and not much, not much more than that, unless you're doing pranayama or something like that. But, you know, when you bring the language in, then you're connecting to that ancient tradition. And, you know, it's very... It, Sanskrit also provides a standard all over the world. So if you want to go to a studio in Italy or want to go to a studio mm. in China or whatever, chances are decent that the instructors there probably know some of the Sanskrit, and that's the common language, you know, of the of the postures because they're all in that language. If you're learning using English names, then people might call things different things here and there, studio to studio, mm-hmm. and uh, it's not. It does it's not a standard language? Do you think sh- teachers should be using it more than they are generally speaking? I think so. I'd like to see it used more for sure. Um, but I know there are a lot of classes that you know they just call them yoga classes, but you know, um, just because people are stretching doesn't mean it's yoga. Mm. You know, it doesn't mean you have to pronounce the Sanskrit, but. Yoga is much broader tradition. It's got all eight limbs, and it has a lot of philosophy to it. So it's you can call it an asana class, mm-hmm. but to call something a yoga class, generally, to you know, for what that word means, you'd want to introduce some kind of, you know, some part of the philosophy or some part of the language or something else besides just the stretching. Mm-hmm. And do you think that yoga teachers should study more intensely than just the name of the poses? Is that just the really base or is that enough for an average um, teacher? Um, I mean, you know, it's, it's really up to the person how far they want to get into it. I, I personally think to know how to pronounce the posture names and know how to pronounce the basic alphabet, which doesn't take long at all to mm-hmm. learn, you know, just respecting the tradition, respecting the language and learning how to pronounce the alphabet and how to, you know, maybe how to do a couple of chants is, you know, really, I think would really enhance uh, a yoga class quite a bit, but it's ultimately up to the teachers to how far Sanskrit has a reputation of being difficult. Mm -hmm. And the, the fact is it's way easier to learn how to pronounce a Sanskrit word than English. It's it's orders of magnitude easier. <laughs> if people would like to start to learn a little bit more, where do they start? Either if it's pronunciation or just the words themselves, do you have resources to suggest? Yeah, so um, they can... Uh, <clears throat> I do sell these Sanskrit flashcards mm. and 
they are teach you how to read and write and pronounce the alphabet. Uh, the book, The Language of Yoga, that that I've written has the all of the asana names. I mean, the vast majority of asana names, whole bunch of chants, whole bunch of terms with audio. So that's a really mm. good um, resource to learn how to pronounce all kinds of words. And there's also me chanting the alphabet at the end of that. So you can learn Great. the alphabet that I'll way too. I'll put the links in the show notes for people to find those two things. Oh, okay. Why is, you mentioned the pronunciation a few times. Why is it so important? So in this tradition, uh, there are something called Vedangas. It's called the, you know, there's six, um, six things that are considered very important to understand Vedic philosophy. The first one is pronunciation. Mm-hmm. So in the tradition, the pronunciation of the language is, is like the highest priority. And it's because when you pronounce a word correctly, you're, the energy that's going out, it carries the meaning of the word with it. So when you pronounce a Sanskrit word, the, the, the meaning goes with the sound. It's kind of mm-hmm. part and parcel with the sound. Mm-hmm. And so when you're pronouncing, you want to pronounce correctly to get the meaning out because, you know, as they say, once you say something, it's out there. You can't take mm-hmm. it back. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's partly why you want to be careful, you know, with what you say before you say it, anything, you know. <laughs> but as far as pronunciation goes, you know, it is really, really, uh, in this tradition, it's a very, very important part of it. And again, it's it's, it's quite easy to mm-hmm. learn. I mean, it's, you know, compared to English especially, which is very difficult. Does it have anything to do with where your tongue hits inside your mouth? Does that activate certain you know, energy channels in some way? Yeah, there are five distinct mouth positions, including the lips. And uh, your tongue is used in the first four. And that determines the direction of the sound. And that affects the energetic of the Mm -hmm. sound. So this is going to go into mantra now, you know, uh, partly. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, you know, like the throat position, the the direction would kind of go up. And then there's a top position, kind of go out, and then there's the lifts, goes you know completely out, you know horizontally. And as far as pronunciation goes, mantra it's it's really important for mantra mm-hmm. because if the sound carries the meaning, and you're pronouncing a mantra incorrectly, then you're you're derailing your intention. You know, you're thinking your mantra is this. But it's actually the, the way you're pronouncing it, it could be a different meaning. <laughs> and then you do thousands and hundreds of thousands of repetitions. <laughs> yeah. Like if you said, let's say your mantra is Ananda. Let's say your mantra was Ananda. And you're like, Ananda, Ananda, Ananda. Thousands of times. You're saying unhappiness thousands of oh. times. <laughs> That's not a good no. thing. <laughs> Now, if you're saying ananda, 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 that means bliss. And so if you're saying that thousands of times, that's a good thing. But some people don't know the difference. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What are some of the most mispronounced words that maybe people could start to pay attention to if they do, either if it's in a mantra or 
Um, well, that one is yeah. one. Pronouncing the word Ananda as Ananda. Um, there's another one that, you know, the word uh, Mala, which some people call the sacred necklace, uh-huh. but Mala actually means a human waste product. <laughs> um, urine, feces, or sweat. Um, the correct pronunciation is Mala for the sacred necklace. Well, that's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, some of the asana names, like people say Bhadakanasana instead of Bhadakonasana, which is the way you're supposed to pronounce mm-hmm. it. Um, there are some other ones really that are pretty glaring, like, um, oh, Viparita Karani. Everybody says that, where it's actually Viparita Karani. A little bit different. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, um, Prasarita, you know, for one of the posture names instead of Prasarita. <clears throat> I've heard all kinds of things. <laughs> and, sure. um, you know, so it's just, you know, it's okay. I mean, I think it's important that if yoga teachers respect the tradition, they should at least try to pronounce the words correctly. And a lot of people might not know how important it is to the tradition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm happy we're doing this episode because I assume most people don't know really. They think it's just a name and that's what it is and they could choose to either use it or not, but it doesn't really change anything. It's just about lineage and... Yeah, they'll just read words as as if they're English mm-hmm. without knowing anything about the language. And then they'll a lot of times they'll mispronounce them. And what really gets to me is when people actually start recording music, recording chants, not knowing the basics of the language mm. and they're recording these, you know, really powerful, sacred, ancient Vedic chants and they're completely mispronouncing them. And it's just, that's to me, that's disrespectful. Mm. Mm-hmm. What are some of the symbols that can help us know like when it's elongated or when there's, you know, a difference that's not just reading the, the letters in English? Well, that's the thing. If you don't have access to those little marks, then you wouldn't know, you know, how it was pronounced. So um, if there's a horizontal line over a letter, that means it's always long. It always gets two beats. Mm-hmm. Um, Often on A's, the, the, on vowels. Yeah. Yeah. The A, E, and mm-hmm. U are the main ones there. And then and then the, um, the, the sounds, it's, it's a letter E, but it's pronounced A. Uh, a, I, O, and Ao are always long. Um, and so, you know, those, essentially those are always long. So no matter what you do. The other thing is rhythm is built into the language. So because of those long vowels, partly, uh, you have these words that have long syllables and short syllables. And so when you say the word or the name or whatever it is, there's a rhythm to it. Mm. English doesn't have mm-hmm. that. So we don't, we might not be, we might not even know there's a rhythm. We just look at the word as if it's in English and then just pronounce it. But it's, you know, it's, it's hard, you know, again, it's all relative. You know, can you imagine, sometimes I give the example when I, when I hear somebody chanting, here's how it might sound to me. Amusing Greece. <laughs> uh, something like that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You get it? What is the rhythm, like how does the rhythm affect 
Why is the musicality important? Well, I think I'm, my opinion is the rhythm was introduced, is in part of the language to break up the monotony. Mm. <clears throat> you know, it's because it's just, you know, and it's all, it's all about the syllables in Sanskrit, mm -hmm. whether everything, that's the, they're called akshara, indestructible. So it's all, the whole language is really based on these syllables. And syllables can either be uh, one beat or two beats. Sometimes if you're doing a Vedic chant, you have tonal marks. So it actually gives you, whether it's a low tone or a middle tone or a mm. high tone. And then it's like reading music. You know, when you're doing a Vedic chant, it's sort of like reading music or singing a song to notes. And um, so it ends up being very musical. And that's different than, you know, many other languages. And that's part of, again, remember, this is part of how information was mm -hmm. retained and mm -hmm. learned. Because a lot of these, a lot of texts, including Ayurvedic texts, are written in meter. Mm. And they're written in meter so that you can memorize the chant. You know the tune, you memorize the chant, and then you know all, everything in that verse. You know the five taste, or the, sorry, the six tastes, or the, you know, the, the three doshas and their sub doshas, or whatever it is in Ayurveda, or you know, you know, this from another subject and you when you learn that chanting through it through chanting then you can end up basically everything's in your head you end up teaching you don't need any notes or books or anything because you've you have everything through the chanting it's very interesting and it's probably why because it was before writing that it was just a way to remember the information and to create pattern that in our yep. brain are staying more active than just words yeah huh, that is so nice i didn't know that um, in traditions like Kundalini Yoga, the chants and the mantras are in Gurmukhi instead of Sanskrit. Is there a difference? I mean, I know it's two different languages, but in the benefits or in the potency of the words and the musicality, the rhythm, do you know about Gurmukhi at all? Uh, yeah, I know a little bit about Gurmukhi. Uh, I like the name, the, the meaning of that word from the, from the mouth of the guru. Mm. Um, but it's, I believe Gurumukhi is from Sanskrit. Um, I don't know that much about it, but I'm sure it's probably also pr pretty rhythmic and has a lot of the same mm -hmm. basic mm -hmm. sounds, I'm pretty sure. But I, I can't speak to it, really, because I don't know it that mm. well. Okay. We're going to wrap up really soon. Is there anything else you want to add before we finish that maybe I haven't mentioned? Or if there's one takeaway you'd like listeners to leave, what would that be? So, yeah, if you have a mantra, please just make sure you're pronouncing it correctly. <laughs> um, as far as if you're studying the Yoga Sutras, uh, again, the traditional way would be to learn the sutra, the chant, the sound of the sutra first, and then you learn what it means. And you learn both. So you learn the sound first, then you learn what it means. And then when you have that sutra, the sound, and then when you're in a class or you want to share that sutra, you just do the chant, you chant the sutra, and then all that information comes in. Like it, it comes to the forefront of your mind mm -hmm. and you can share it. So the sound of the sutra, that's partly why they write in sutra format, the sound of the sutra is associated with, as a mnemonic association, all that information that you learned about the sutra. That's a good tip. 
I think another tip you had in the beginning was, and you used it for yourself, find a good teacher that can help you learn. <laughs> yes, the proper that's very way. important or a reliable, reliable source online. Um, I mean, the best would be, yeah, to have somebody who knows um, how to pronounce and you can't, don't just assume that if somebody's Indian, they know Sanskrit. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily true. Okay. I'll put all your info in the show notes, the link of the two resources we talked about. But in the meantime, what's the best place for people to find you if they want to stay hello or they'd like to study with you? Uh, probably just go to my website. Uh, it's uh, sanskritsounds.com. That has all the information about me and, and the, you know, my schedule and the books and everything. Um, I will say that I do, as far as mantra goes, I, I'm going to put this out there. Um, I do offer for free um, help. I, I can I can tell you how to pronounce your mantra if it's in Sanskrit, and I won't charge for that because I te- I, th- I feel like that's extremely important. Mm. So I'll just put that out there. Assuming that the mantra was giving to the person, or that they they're just choosing this mantra for themselves. Either way, but it has to be in Sanskrit. If it's in another language, I can't really help help with that. <laughs> totally. And do you think, just before yeah. we finish, do you think that mantra should be chosen on your own or should be given to you? Well, a spiritual mantra, some people don't have access to a spiritual teacher, so you need something to use in the meantime. Um, so you can use Om, you can choose a short, short little mantra like Soham or something like that. But when a teacher gives you a mantra that's a responsibility. You know, the teacher's responsible for you. I don't do that. I'm not a spiritual guru. Um, so that's the spiritual mantra. Then if you, there's a mantra for affecting the, you know, the world around you, that's a different kind of mantra. And that can be used. Um, it still needs to be pronounced correctly, but that can be used like for prosperity or for attracting something or repelling something or, any, all, there are all kinds of mantras. Um, there's a great book called Mantra Yoga and Primal Sound that David Frawley wrote. He's one of my main teachers, and that's a really good book on um, on mantra. Create all that as a resource. Yeah, I do want to mention. I'm going to be um, teaching as part of uh, Susanna Friedman's teacher training mm. uh, retreat in Baja next October. Susanna was on um, on our podcast episode 17. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. While yeah, ago. yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So in Baja, you said. Yeah. In Baja, yeah, next October. Great. And uh, I, I do do, you know, I do do a lot of, um, you know, video tutorials now with people. Um, that's kind of doing that more and more. So I do offer that uh, if people want that. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy man. I really appreciate you giving us some of your time here to talk about Sanskrit. It's my pleasure, Eric. I hope to meet you someday. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you listen. And if you want it to continue, don't forget to visit patreon.com slash on and off your mat to donate or become a VIP member and get your hands on all our exclusive content. Check out the show notes to find more info about our guest of today, Nikolai Bachman, including his books or my top five biggest takeaways from this episode. Before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to Alexander Saba, working in the background, creating the music, editing and mastering this podcast. Once again, thank you for joining in. Until next time.